Welcome to Thank the Maker, King's College London's premier creativity talk show. We are coming to you pre-recorded from, wait for it, my home. Yep, this is our uh, first remotely made episode from outside the studio at, at King's College London. So um, we hope you bear with any of the audio hiccups along the way across this episode. Um, in case anyone doesn't know, on this show, Thank the Maker, we bring on creatives from in and around King's, and this time internationally from Malaysia, to talk about their projects, what makes them creative, and kind of all the art and theory in between. I'm your host, Clay Ballard, and today we're interviewing Umar Sharif. He is a Malaysian-born and located community and arts manager with an arts-focused Singaporean startup. Uh, but prior to that, Umar has uh, quite an interesting creative history as an architect, an artist, an actor, and um, even a content creator on YouTube. Uh, so we hope you join us over the next hour or so as we explore the culture of creativity at King's College London and internationally in Malaysia. We'll be right back with Umar in just a moment. So welcome back to Thank the Maker. Uh, I'm your host, Clay, again. Um, I'm here with Umar. Umar, how are you doing? I'm doing really great here, Clay. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being uh, on the show. It's it's weird doing the show. So this is the first time I've recorded this show from my home on my computer. And so the technical configuration has taken like the past 24 minutes. Um, so we've been we've been trying to figure that out. But yeah, uh, thank you so much for bearing with me, number one. Uh, thank you so much for number two, staying up late uh, to talk with me, because I know it's like 9.25 there, or is it 2.25 here? Yeah, but 9.25, that's not really late for me. And it's it's Ramadan for you, right? How, how are things uh, going with the quarantine and trying to celebrate all that with your family? It's definitely really weird this year, because Ramadan is an incredibly social uh spiritual month you know there's the bazaars there's the congregational prayers and all of that's off the books for this year so it's super weird to have uh ramadan during quarantine that's for sure yeah but i yeah finished my uh i just broke fast with my family just now so yeah i feel full i i have a lot of pep in my step right now because i just had my meal yeah so let's go that's awesome Good timing. That what? Uh, wait. What time does the fast end in Malaysia? All uh, right now, like seven twenty. Okay, so you've had a couple hours to digest then. Cool. So, uh, for those that don't know, um, including myself, because we haven't, we for a bit of history, uh, we met in an acting class in Kuala Lumpur at uh, KL Pak, KL Performing Arts Center, um, and since then, I've come to know you as like quite a creative individual. Uh, you have kind of your hands in a lot of different uh, buckets, so to speak, creatively. But what what do you do now? Um, what What's your title and who do you work for? Okay, so I work for this Singaporean startup called NICE. And NICE is spelled N-A-I-I-S-E. It's just a colloquial way of saying the word NICE, as in saying these things are NICE. So I am the community and buying manager for the Malaysian branch for this company. 
And what Nice mm -hmm. is, it's a niche e-commerce platform. They're a platform for local makers, the local makers industry. So basically artists, arts and crafts, workshops, all these like small uh, ma-and-pa things. Yeah, and they have a few brick and mortar shops in Singapore and just one brick and mortar shop in Malaysia. And I'm basically in charge of um, the community and the buying for that particular shop, which is located in the Zongshan building, which is this arts hub in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, well, explain, explain it, because it's such a interesting concept to me. It's it's a building that houses all of these arts institutions and companies. Uh, what is the idea behind the Zhongshan building? Okay, uh, the explanation is actually quite interesting. So basically, it was a migrant hostel. It is an old 50s urban block of like three shop lots together. And the owner, the current owner for the building actually inherited it from his father. And he is someone who is quite artistically inclined. His wife is actually mm -hmm. a curator. So they start by opening an art gallery in there. And then after that, they kind of uh, slowly attracted all these other creative practitioners. There's a fashion designer, there's several graphic designers, architects, interiors, uh, and a few like artisanal shops as well. Yeah, so together, oh, and one lawyer's office, but he's an art collector. So all of it together creates this kind of like zany, kooky community of very like indie and very artsy people. Sometimes it's, uh, it's very funny because I am, a bit exposed to American media and sometimes I kind of feel like just watching the building feels like I'm watching a sketch of Portlandia in front of my eyes. <laughs> that's that's so cool though that what a what a unique concept I feel like I've seen this elsewhere but the idea of like collectives but it is executed in such a cool way at the Zhongshan building with it being like in the his, historical building and just all the events that were put on as well within that space um, Okay, so I know the answer to this question, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear it again. How did you find your way into working where you're working today? Because your background is not exactly aligned with that. Oh, definitely. I guess I can kind of go through my patchwork of uh, self-history here. <laughs> Please do. Okay, so uh, I originally studied architecture. Yeah, and I did work as an architectural assistant for one whole year before deciding uh, bleep this bleep. Yeah, <laughs> and after that, I was a content creator. Yeah, while I was doing, while, while I was being an architectural assistant, I got together with my friend who also studied architecture with me, and we started a YouTube channel where I do uh, drawing tutorials. Now, I'm very, very much a dinosaur with technology, so I don't know how to handle things like cameras, editing, all that thing. He knows how to do that. I know how to draw. So together, we created the little episodes. It's kind of really like, it's, it's very rough, you know, because it's, uh, it, it doesn't involve a lot of sophisticated uh, equipment. But somehow people like that, and it did manage to gain a modest following of like, we did get like more than a hundred thousand subscribers. Wow! And yeah, YouTube also sent us one of those silver buttons. It never stuck because we've never been able to turn it into something to make a living out of. Yeah, it was never ever sustainable. So both of us had to get like different jobs, and uh, it kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah, sometimes I, I <clears throat> when we first got the silver button, I always joke with my partner, you know, can we please smelt it to buy groceries, please? Because we're like so. Cool. <laughs> Aside from that, while we were doing that YouTube thing, 
me and him, we opened a company, our own company <laughs> called the Montman Training, and we provided like little architectural services for uh, BIM modeling. That's like using uh, software to create like buildings. Uh, I hated that. My friend, he's really good in that, so he he loved doing that. And between in between doing that and going nowhere, I also hopped between sort of, lots of different jobs in between. I was a tuition teacher. I worked retail. And then, yeah, I took an acting class, <laughs> and that's where I met Clay. And after that, I somehow landed as a, as a community and buying manager for Nice. Yeah, because I happened to go to that building a lot. Yeah, then I just saw like a little hiring sign there, and I'm like, "Hey, are you hiring?" Yeah, and you know, the rest is uh, history for two years. That's incredible. That that is like such an interesting like creative career trajectory. Um, <laughs> So, I got. I have so many questions that like stem from that. Um, in terms of architecture, I imagine, and please give me your own answer, but I imagine you started there because, given what you've done throughout the rest of your career, it it, it seemed like it was a creative pursuit. What kind of disillusioned you with architecture? I suppose. Uh, okay, I'm only speaking from my own personal experience, so this might. Of course. Yeah. So this might not apply to other people who are practicing uh, architecture. Uh, I didn't get to be creative. <laughs> it was a very like uh, repetitive, uh, drudgery, and also it had really it had really bad work ethics. Yeah, I did mm. twenty four hours in the office, and okay, that part is actually pretty common. You know, bad work ethics in architecture, and you see so many other creative people. They're like. You know they uh, they do photography, they do art, whatever, whatever. And turns out they started out as architects too. So yeah, it's a pretty common story, but one that carries with it a little bit of like this feeling of shame, a little bit. I don't know if this is if that's also universal or maybe just because of uh, mm, I don't want to like throw stereotypes. It could be an Asian thing, you know, to like kind of start something and then kind of fail at it and then have to. Uh, resign yourself to something that's not as not as hard. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. But do you do you perceive it like that? That it's not as difficult. Like, do you? Is it? Because that's that's something I kind of struggle with too. Is like I have my creative pursuits that I love doing, and then I've had like my kind of academic career pursuits that like yeah are a bit more difficult for me. But I can't tell whether it's more difficult for me because I don't enjoy it. Or if it's just like a difference in difficulty, like does that kind of debate inner debate ring true for you? Oh my god, that is so true for me as well. Actually, it's something that I struggle with and something that I still can't answer right now. Like I don't, yeah, yeah, like objectively judge and and tell myself like, is what I'm doing actually harder? But I enjoy it, therefore it doesn't feel as hard. Uh, yeah. And of course, there's there's the social stigma attached because like architecture is seen as like such a prestigious job and position, um, whereas these yeah. more niche positions like it, you have to you have to take the time to explain it. Right. And like that in and of itself kind of undercuts the prestigiousness. But anyway, I, I think that's awesome. I think it's super cool that you've been able to follow like your interests and what you want to do. Um, what I guess looking ahead do you like what you're doing and see yourself doing it for a long time? Hmm. Uh, I'd say that I like it enough. <laughs> and I like to stick around for this job just because there's a lot of practical skills that I enjoyed learning. 
so much learning actually even in just two years somehow i feel like these two years were even better than like uh four years at university and i want to stick around until i can absorb all that practical skill and then do something else with that and what i see myself going forward is kind of like uh yeah something in like arts management yeah because i i can see that i have a knack for managing people, keeping relations and all that. Yeah, arts management is such an interesting topic. So in my degree, which is global media, I'm within a broader department, uh, which is uh, it's, CMCI is the shorthand. I think it's cultural media and creative industries, CMCI. Yeah. Um, and one of the degrees within it is uh, arts and cultural management. And uh, we kind of share classes, so I pick up a little bit here and a little bit there. Um, but one of the big questions with the degree is, is what does managing art even look like? Because creativity and art is supposed to be this freeform process um, where you, you know, you, you, it's, it, is it individualized? Is it team? Is it social? So there's all these questions of like, yeah, what, like, what does that even mean to be an art manager? Um, so. To point it back to you, yeah, what is that? What is what does managing art mean to you? Because I'm super curious to hear or your own answer to that theorizing. Cool, that's a really good question. Actually, like I feel like an, an, I can answer it based on observing other art managers in the Zongshan building, because it also houses uh, several several like consultancies, like art consultancies and also galleries. So I am uh, usually hanging out with the curators there. So I get an idea of how it actually happens. Uh, number one, there is actually a structure to it. So regardless whether the artist, if they're working in a team or they are individuals, they're a collective, whatever, uh, you give them enough structure within whatever crazy way, whatever crazy method that they work in, as long as you ensure some kind of outcome comes out of it. And then the outcome is something that's kind of ready uh, for an exhibition or a show or an event. Basically, you manage them so that they create this outcome and then there, there is a public that can receive it and ex enjoy it and experience it. Yeah, so that's basically what I see and surmise from what I observe. Very interesting. So if I'm understanding correctly, you as an art manager, you need to provide a structure for the artist. You need to set some sort of goal or outcome and then uh, find like identify the audience for that outcome. Yeah, very well put. <laughs> I'm just I'm just summarizing you. That's that's it's super cool to hear it it put that way because a lot of the theorizing that I've like I guess grappled with uh, talks a lot about like uh, constraints or the lack thereof. Um, yeah, working in groups or not working in groups. I feel like there's a public perception of art being like not very structured like if you're an artist, what do you do every day, right? Do you just sit around and get inspiration and then do things? How how do you layer on a structure onto these kind of notions of creating art of like you need to take time and find inspiration and you know inspiration only strikes when when you least expect it. So how, yeah, how do you how do you levy levy structure onto something that's that kind of abstract? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like the really uh, romantic way of. Uh, looking at it, and I think that's the the perception that a lot of the public might have. <laughs> but and I think maybe the art world would like to keep that kind of perception because it makes them seem mysterious and sexy. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and uh, I do notice these structures actually, even with art among artists themselves, 
especially the 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 ones that do make it and they are very good uh i notice structures in how they approach their work how they approach their inspirations uh usually what i notice is that they always have a point of view or they have some kind of objective that they want to uh express they have a point of view and art is just their medium of expression you know whether it's political it's social they're talking about uh, rights or 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 whatever you know um and that becomes you could say the initial railroad that the structure goes on the train would look really crazy but then everything is just sent just geared towards uh, achieving the objective of being able to express and communicate that particular idea or value uh, efficiently with the public and um, on an aside also kind of make it sellable for their uh, market because that is also a big that's what I noticed to be quite a big factor as well you know the uh, the market of of buyers and collectors as well I do notice that as well and sometimes they kind of have a maybe they're the ones who lay down the structures because it's like you know if you don't finish on time I'm not gonna buy this from you right yeah <laughs> like do you feel like any of these structures again you're, you're kind of you're countering me with this these romantic notions but I always like to go back to them because they they came about from somewhere but do you feel like structure has the ability to kind of prevent art from coming about as much as it does to like enabling it or do you think that structure is only a good thing because like my my head immediately goes to like um like these ideas like when you watch a tv show and they have product placement right um that they are being forced to display something that they wouldn't otherwise display but at the same time it's enabling them to even do that tv show in the first place it's paying for whatever they need where yeah i don't know what the question is within this but like what's the balance between structure and kind of free realm free realm to do what you want yeah i'm not i'm not too sure actually but i i actually am more on board with you i do have a a balanced view of that in that i feel like some structure is good too much is too much is definitely bad and it could also cause to like some sort of burnout or with within the artists themselves yeah oh yeah so actually we're gonna go ahead and uh take a break um and so you you sent me a song uh and i might mispronounce this but is it it's by alina morang alina morang and the song is midang midang Awesome. And why? Uh, why? Did, what made you choose this song for our for our break? Well, because I know that your audience would be, uh, I assume, is the KCL student body, and I think it's quite interesting to show them something, uh, something local, Malaysian, and also something that's done by a practitioner who practices at the Jongsan Building. So the artist is Alina Morang. She is a she is from the Klabit tribe in Sarawak, which is a state in Malaysia. And this is actually really exotic, even for me, even for other Malaysians. A lot of us are kind of blind to, our, to the richness of the culture that, that is uh, already in Malaysia. So yeah, she is bringing like a contemporary spin to it and sings it absolutely beautifully. This is a little folk song about a girl who is 
she's supposed to get married. This is supposed to be like a matchmaking song, and she's just counting down a list of different guys and wondering like, you know, which one can shade me from the rain best, which is super sweet. And yeah, yeah. Uh, don't let me go on. I I think I should just let you guys enjoy the sound. It's super airy and super spiritual sounding. Awesome. Very exotic. Well, let's give it a listen, and uh, we'll be right back in just a few minutes. Welcome back to Thank the Maker. Uh, that was Elena Morong uh, with Midang Midang. Um, yeah, super airy and like lovely to listen to. So we were just talking while the music was playing about how we're both coping with quarantine. 
Um, as I mentioned earlier, this is like the first quarantine episode I've done. So in Malaysia, correct me if I'm wrong, they've got what's called the MCO. And so like you are not allowed to leave your house except for one person is allowed to leave your house for groceries and essential things. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. And so how, how have you been doing through all that? Because I imagine it's, have you left the house recently? Like when's the last time you left? Um, I, I'm not sure how long, but I remember it like it's been a long time since I actually laundered a pair of pants. So it's been a very long while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they're they're lessening that come on Monday, and so we yeah we were just talking during the break about like yeah it's it's hard to know how to feel about things kind of going back to normal because on one hand you want you want it to be truly safe you don't want to ease off things to risk more lives but like selfishly and and totally validly it's it's really tough being in quarantine for this long definitely definitely. But yeah, so I guess kind of going off of that, one thing I know for a lot of creative people is one thing that we're grappling with as creative people, and really a lot of people, is this feeling of being productive versus being unproductive and like whether we should use this newfound time to be productive or if it's okay to just relax because it's a global pandemic and like things are crazy. Yeah, how are you feeling with, with like productivity, especially pertaining to creativity? Um, do you feel like you've been able to get a lot of work done or are you? do you feel like high stressed? What's kind of your take on creativity during these times? Hmm, okay. Uh, I feel like for creative people, uh, before you can work on your creativity at this time, you need to first maintain your sanity and your well-being. So I, I am on the train of like self-care and taking care of yourself first and only then go on to be productive if you can because for different people, it would have different effects, you know, and lots of different factors coming in because for some people, they are experiencing quarantine like by themselves. It's a little bit lonesome. Maybe it's a small apartment, not a lot of place to go. Some people are able to like do it in like a mansion, so it doesn't really affect them. So it really depends on like a case by case basis. But again, I maintain, you know, like take care of yourself first, only then try and sort of be productive and do something. Yeah, no, that, that's like, that's a good take and a good way to put it. And I think it really extends to like, broader discussions over productivity within this to get really heady capitalistic society that we live in um yeah make sure you're good before you start creating um and this actually it actually makes me pivot to another point that i brought up in the show before um in discussions of like theoretical creativity uh and like notions of like romanticizing it there's this there's this notion that like you have to be in pain or like have to be like emotionally uh like having a hard time to create really good art um what what are your what is your take on that notion uh, do you think you create better art when you are like in a good place or a bad place do you do you understand do you follow what i'm saying uh yes i do i think i can say that whatever state you're in if you're a good artist you'll make good art <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a good cop out. I will give you that, but no, I I, I think it's a good point. Um, and okay, let's let's make this even broader and like okay, crazier. What, what is good art? How do you define what what is and what is not good art? 
Oh wow. Okay, now I feel like that's not my place to really say. Um Well, it it totally is as an artist and a creator, I would say. Like what what yeah, what resonates with you? Okay. If I can narrow it down to maybe what I feel is relevant or what matters to me. So long sure. as you have a strong idea that is worth communicating and you are communicating it using your media effectively, whatever that media is, whether it's like photography or drawing, painting, uh, theater, art, as long as you're communicating that uh, effectively and with high, uh, with, with, uh, with an artfulness in how you use that media, then I think you're creating good art. Interesting. So to play devil's advocate, All right. um, are, you, like, are you familiar with The Room with Tommy Wiseau? Not right now. Is it a show? Um, so, yeah, and I'll, I'll explain it, I guess. So, The Room is this notoriously bad movie. Um, it was made by this guy named Tommy Wiseau, and he was this aspiring actor, writer, director in L.A. that was from some Eastern European country. Um, but, yeah, basically, he poured his heart and soul into this movie called The Room, and it was, it was the worst thing ever made. Um, like, horribly paced crazy acting overly long overly complicated plot um but but a lot of people have kind of looked at this guy as this staple of like what an artist should be he he put something out there he put his heart and soul into it it wasn't received well but like he he followed his dream and he did it but i guess i guess what i'm trying to the point i'm trying to make is surely there's a distinction between like quality and value and communicating uh, something from like your heart right like there's like an effectiveness to it so as that counterpoint like surely there are bad examples of people that have like poured their heart into something and communicated something that still didn't land quite well so how do you kind of contend that with notions of like what is good art and what is bad art i think that's where i can go back to where i was saying where you know you have that you want to express and then you have a media uh, whatever sorry what medium and media whatever that you know you do and then that's up to you to use your skills and talent to kind of uh, communicate that effectively so let's say sure he poured his heart out for this movie but maybe if he had better skills or a better team or something then maybe the movie would have been uh, you know artfully better if he this this is a whole nother jumping point but it was something i was thinking about earlier when you were talking about your career trajectory um you 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 had this like partner that you were with throughout the content creation days for you and then throughout that company you guys started um what do you what do you think about like partnership in the arts is partnership important or is individuality important like do you yeah what do you feel like you're more creative when you're working in a partnership or when you kind of have more control over your your output? Actually, I feel like uh, collaboration and partnerships is very good for creativity. I do believe that a community mm-hmm. breeds a lot of creativity and that to, to some point, maybe isolation also kills creativity. I mean, I mean because I suppose I'm coming from uh, experiencing creativity and art from a community like the Zonshan building. So I see how beneficial it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, that's so funny, too, because I, I had a very similar conversation with one of my past guests, Roman Lewis, who's a musician. Um, and one of the things 
he, he was saying something similar. Um, but it's just, it's just so funny because I feel like there's these, again, to go to these romantic notions, um, there's these romantic notions of like going into a room and writing for days and then coming out with your magnum opus. But in actuality, it, it's these collaborations and, you know, working with other people that inspires more than just like your own inner monologue. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I think you can do that. You can isolate yourself, do that thing. But then after that, you go into your community of other writers, look over it, and then have other people, you know, point out what they think and their critique. Because if you really isolate yourself like that, right, I really think there is a big risk of of you and what you do becoming terribly, like, self-centered or myopic or tone-deaf or irrelevant. So I always feel community for creativity is uh, is great. That Yeah, excellent, excellent points. Unless you're creating art just for yourself, yeah, you, you need some sort of collaboration helps because if you, ultimately you're producing art for like an audience, right? And so it's not just for you. It's not just your point of view. It's not just, yeah, this selfish creation. It, it is for other people, hopefully. Um, yeah, super interesting. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, kind of the art scene in Malaysia uh, more generally and, and Kuala Lumpur. One thing when I was living there that I thought was quite interesting about KL was that the the art scene wasn't that developed but because of that you could really jump in anywhere you wanted and that was super valuable whereas now that I'm in London you know there's theaters on every block I feel like the barrier to entry is much higher and so it's it's like I can't I've really got to find an accepting community that would like let me get my foot in the door um, it's hard though because it's it feels more exclusive despite the amount of it everywhere. Do you agree or disagree with that? That I mean, this is just totally my impressions from a year living in both cities. That's interesting. I think uh, there's, there's value in both uh, observations that you've had, actually, um, because, yeah, you are quite correct, actually, to identify that the art scene in Malaysia is quite uh, in its infancy, definitely. And um, I guess because of that, the barrier to entry is also quite low. But then it does require a certain like exposure and cultural capital to like get in in the first place. But yeah, but otherwise, actually, uh, I can say that because it's so small, right? It is actually kind of struggling. Like it's struggling to uh, get a foot or like get grounded within Malaysia. Yeah, just because largely Mala- Malaysian society is not one that is very. Uh, culturally or artistically inclined to begin with why why do you think that is because like when i look at you know the history of malaysia and and what has originated there um like it's it's extremely diverse and extremely there's so much that has been produced and made that's culturally relevant and important and creatively interesting so why why do you think at like kind of this point that that's less so is it a political thing is it just a society thing uh both political and societal i guess because um education here doesn't really education here is not they don't really uh advocate for you to be very critical yeah so i have to like read my own country here but uh it's it, yeah they don't really they, they don't really push you to like, explore things like this even though Culturally, we are actually we are actually quite rich culturally. But then, like, there are cases where, like, in, in some states where 
cultural suppression also happens where certain dances become banned or something just because uh, they think it's not appropriate to like to be part of our culture so there's like censorship happening as well so i guess aside from the art the art society or the art uh, community being quite small to begin with there's also a lot of censorship around it in how you can present yourself or what sort of work you want to present to the public, how you kind of need to wash it a little bit so that nobody kind of gets angry. Uh, yeah, so it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a struggle being kind of small and not, not having enough autonomy, I guess. Right. Mm. Interesting. I, I, on the flip side, though, um, what, do you, what do you think Malaysia is doing well with encouraging its creative community and its cultural industries to develop what what is like happening in malaysia that you think is like unique and awesome i can positively say that the makers industry is uh is growing so these are basically people who do like arts and crafts and then turn it into their like small businesses and the thing is uh these sort of artistic pursuits are kind of perceived to be quite harmless politically so they're allowed to kind of to just thrive and because of that you do get a lot of great local uh, a lot of great uh, local brands yeah and then yeah and they usually kind of do like a rehash of things that are just already within culture like slang and even using it for like memes and stuff bringing it to the contemporary yeah so that kind of stuff it, it goes really well but the the ones where it forces you to kind of the ones that challenges you, especially on a political and societal level, that th- those those are a bit harder. Like if you have an exhibition for that, maybe it wouldn't be so publicized. Uh. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Going back to to my time, I loved finding the little like pop up shops, or or there's the monthly Rio in the city where they have so many creatives kind of come together. That it seems like there's so many up and coming like initiatives um that really showcase these yeah these creatives that are appearing um and yeah it's 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 like super quality and cool and unique stuff yeah particularly like with bringing like uh the kind of cultural touchstones and making them modern like yeah i I think back to um the the batik you can find so many cool like batik shirts everywhere now um that like have like kind of a contemporaryness to them um so you're kind of blending that like old and new so what I like to kind of ask every guest that I have on this show is generally their thoughts on like creativity and like what it is and where it comes from. So just to pose the question back at you, uh, wh- what does it mean to be creative to you? Um, you you have a really interesting background in history and like I, I'd consider you an incredibly creative person in that you've you've worked in creation, you've worked in management, you've worked in like the industry side with architecture. So you have such a good perception um, of of these things. What what does it mean to be creative to to you? Okay, to me, being creative means being adaptive. Period. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, uh, speaking from a personal point of view, my life has been what seems to be a patchwork of more failures than successes uh, or maybe failures in an Asian sense and because of that I had to be creative mm-hmm. over and over again yeah so I had to adapt a lot because if I if I kind of if I face my first stumbling block and after that I kind of just give up uh, then that means I would be kind of in a way like betraying being creative just by not trying to adapt yeah 
I, I want to kind of take this concept that you've presented and like make it macro and then make it like small as well in just terms of the creative process. Because um, I really, I like this framing, this whole idea of like failure and overcoming it. Um, if you are making a drawing, um, how does this adaptability play out when you're like just drawing a sketch? Ah, okay, okay. Um, I guess I can talk you through the process for it. So... Yeah, I would love that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, definitely. So um, I try not to pressure myself too much. Like, first of all, I always never expect a masterpiece to come out of it. Most likely, I want something to learn from that experience. So let's say if I want to draw a portrait, uh, it may not be the best portrait ever, but then maybe I've learned something about capturing a nose or something. So then at least I can adapt that for the next portrait where I'll draw like a really nice nose and then I'll learn how to draw better eyes or something. Yeah. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, super interesting. And then to take that and make it macro, um, okay. well, you've already kind of touched on this, but like in terms of bringing creativity into your career, I mean, I, I think I can I can speak to this my, myself, but I want to hear your perception. How does that adaptability play out kind of on like a living and working as a creative? Hmm. Okay, uh, I guess that would mean... Uh number one to sort of feel like less of a failure i have to dispel with a lot of old values so that's me trying to adapt to what feels like a value initially like something that's valueless has no no standards or objectives but then i kind of build up as i go along and then i have to be like really kind to myself and kind of adapt all these other new uh, new values, adapt being in a different social situation. Because uh, every time I kind of jumped out of something, that means jumping out of that social structure as well, and then being uh, getting through the cultural shock of like being with other people. Uh, so yeah, so it's just constantly adapting, but kind of constantly adapting and trying my best to not get disheartened every time I do it as well. Yeah, so that's all part of being adaptive as well yeah no that's great great insights and and i again i think your career is is like super like a super interesting case study because you've hopped around you you've stayed in the creative fields but you've hopped around to so many different like um corners of the creative industry um awesome um so the the final question that i that i usually pose to my guests is to ask for a recommendation for my listeners um, do you have something uh, creative, a piece of media, a book, uh, anything else that you would like to recommend to people listening? To? Uh, yes, I do, actually. So this might be a little bit of a cop-out, but uh, you, you guys, I'm speaking to the audience now, you guys remember hearing the song Me Down, Me Down just now by Alena? There is actually a highly produced music video to go along with it, and you can actually watch it on YouTube. And I really recommend you to you guys to watch it because just now you had like that audio, that oral experience. Now you can also experience the super lush visual experience to go with it because it was also highly, highly produced by a team of incredibly talented local, uh, like a local production team. They engage with uh, local fashion designers as well. So there's a lot of these like uh, really amazing looks that are all inspired by like indigenous uh, patterns and and fabrics all of them Sarawakian and then the locations as well they flew all the way to Barrio which is uh, which is Alina's uh, ancestral village so it's also incredibly beautiful so you know just 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 watch it <laughs> amazing actually I had it pulled up while we were listening to it and it is 
it is awesome. Well, Umar, thank you so much for taking the time today and, and taking the time out of your quarantine and, and really Ramadan schedule. Um, it's It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you over the past uh, 40 minutes now or so. Oh, me too, Clay. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. And for everyone that's been listening, thank you so much. This has been Thank the Maker. Mm-hmm.